Today is Tuesday, Shirin Pashat Shavua of Rav Chanoch Waxman. This is Ezra Bick. I'm taking a few minutes to remind you once again. This week is KMTT Drive Week. One week a year when we turn to the listeners and ask you to support. KMTT is a listener-supported station. The only source of KMTT income is its listeners. The number, phone number in New York, 212-732-4874. It's the office of Yeshivat Haaretzion in New York. You can call, make a donation by credit card over the phone, or the address is the American Friends of Yeshivat Haaretzion at 160 Broadway, Suite 1000, New York, New York, 10038. If you have any benefit from the Shirim, this is the time to express your appreciation. We don't bother you a whole year. But a generous donation now will ensure that KMTT goes on to the next year. Hanukkah, the week after Hanukkah, is our once a year Cheshbon. We began on Hanukkah and we begin each year anew on Hanukkah. Please take the minute. If you're in your car, so when you get to the office, if you're walking, when you get home, if you're in front of the computer, then right now, this is the time to make a, I hope, a generous donation to keep this really, I think, great program going for yourselves and for everybody else. Harav Chanoch Waxman, Parshat HaShavua. This week, Parshat Vayichi, I'd like to concentrate on the story found in the Torah in Perak Memchat. The story of the blessing of Menashe and Ephraim by Yaakov. Now normally, in thinking about this story, our attention is caught by the latter part of the story, the point where Yaakov crosses his hands and places his right hand on the head of the younger son. Yosef attempts to stop him. This seems to be the uh, dramatic high point. It is, of course, interesting in its own right, and this is normally what catches our attention. However, I would like to concentrate on something earlier on in the story, something found in the first half of the story, a pasuk which, uh, at first glance, really does not seem to belong in the story at all. Uh, And to understand the problem and to outline it, I'd like to turn to the text and begin with the beginning of the parsha. Parak Memchet, pasuk Aleph in the Torah, says as follows, Vahi acharei advarim ha'ele, and it was after these matters, and we'll come back uh, a bit later to exactly what these matters are, it was told to Yosef, your father is sick. So he took his two sons uh, to visit uh, Yaakov, uh, who was sick, who was upon his deathbed. He took with him Menashe and Ephraim. Now, why he took them? Perhaps simply just to visit, uh, to see the family elder before he passed on. Rashi points out, in light of the uh, latter part of the story, that it's for the purpose of getting a blessing from Menashe and Ephraim. But as we move along in the story, uh, we get to um, the turn uh, where the blessing or the idea of blessing first begins to appear. In Pasuk Gimel, Vayomi Yaakov a Yosef, Yaakov said to Yosef upon their arrival, Kel Shakai Nira Eli Beluz, Be'aretz Kanan Ve'erechoti, God appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and he blessed me. Pasuk Dalad, Vayomer Eli, and he said to me, Hineni Mafrucha Virbiticha. 
I'm going to cause you to be multiplied and be many, and you'll be a kahal amim, a community of nations. And I will give you this land uh, to your children uh, forever after, as an everlasting possession. And then, um, in Pasuk, uh, hey, Yaakov seems to get to the crucial point. Now, your two sons that were born to you in the land of Egypt, until I came to Egypt, they will be mine. Ephraim Umanashe Kruvain Vishimon Yuli. Ephraim Umanashe will be like Ruvain and Shimon. We may summarize here that Yaakov summarizes the fact that God appeared to him in Luz in the land of Canaan. He gave him a blessing. This blessing is, of course, the covenant um, between God and Yaakov and between God and Yaakov's descendants. And the language here reflects the idea of the covenant or the covenantal blessing, the language of mafricha vir beticha, pru urvu, kal hamin, being a community of nations, um, the reference to this particular land as in a chuzat olam. And what Yaakov is essentially saying is, Menashe and Ephraim will be, of course, two of the shvatim of Yisrael. They will be part of the covenant. They will be equivalent um, to Ruvain and Shimon, and that is the idea of blessing Ephraim and Menashe. Now, at this point, uh, after this introduction by Yaakov um, and his mention of the fact in Pasuk Vav that the other sons born in Egypt afterwards, or if there are other sons born in Egypt, they will not be part uh, of the same status. They will not be like Ephraim and Menashe, i.e. like Ruvain and Shimon. Um, we expect to get to, um, or begin to move towards, the act of blessing. The introduction is finished, and we expect to get to the main body, the act of blessing. And that's exactly what happens in Pasukhet, uh, two Pesukim later. Pasukhet says as follows, Vaya Yisrael et b'nei Yosef, and then Yisrael saw the sons of Yosef, Vayomer mi'ela, he said, who are these? Vayomer Yosef el aviv, b'nai heim, and Yosef said to his father, these are the sons, asher natan yelokim b'zeh, that God gave me here. In other words, these are Ephraim and Manasseh, who we've been talking about all along. And here we begin to move towards the actual action of blessing. But what's very interesting here is the pasuk I skipped over. And now let us go back to pasuk Zion, because this is the problematic verse that I would like to discuss. Uh, Yaakov says in Pasuk Zion as follows, Va'ani bivo'i mi padan, and when I returned from padan, meta alai Rachel be'eretz Canaan. Rachel died uh, in the land of Canaan, baderach on the way, ba'od kivrat aretz lavo Ephrata on the way into the land in the direction of Ephrata, va'ek barasham, and I buried her there, baderach Ephrat on the way of Ephrat, he beit lachem in beit lachem. Yaakov here, um, for some reason or another, uh, mentions the fact that Rachel died on the way from Padan to Canaan, and she was buried uh, on the way to Ephrat in Beit Lachem. And at first glance, it's not really at all clear what this Pasuk is doing here, or why Yaakov mentions this. Simply put, what is the relevance of the death of Rachel in a particular place and time many years earlier, and the relevance of her burial place to what is going on now. Yaakov here is talking about his desire to induct Menashe and Ephraim into the covenant, um, his desire to bless Menashe and Ephraim, and he is moving towards that. And suddenly, in a complete digression, Yaakov mentions the death of Rachel, the fact that she was buried in a particular place. And the question is, to paraphrase uh, a term of Chazal, 
Why is this mentioned here? What is this Pasuk doing here? And that is the problem, um, the mention of Rachel, that I would like to uh, discuss uh, in the Shi'ur um, right now, uh, today. Now, uh, I am not uh, the first person to notice this problem or the kind of problematic insertion of the mention of Rachel and her burial place here in Pasuk Zion in the middle of Yaakov's speech uh, as, as part of the movement towards the blessing of Ephraim and Menashe. And there are quite a few different solutions uh, that have been proposed. Um, I would like to start, or at least mention, uh, the solution jointly held, uh, jointly proposed by both Rashi and Ramban, what might be thought of as the standard answer to the problem of the insertion of the mention of Rachel here in Pasuk Zion. Um, now, if we look at the language here, there may be a hint in the language of the Pasuk. Uh, to read it again, Pasuk Zion says, Vani bevoi padan Rachel So Rachel died, and then uh, a few words later, And I buried her there, um, on the way to Ephrat and Beit Lachem. The term here is Vekbra, I buried her, her, her here, and of course the topic in the term is Kfura. Now, since we're dealing here with Parshat Vayichi, uh, the term, uh, or the stem, Kuf Bedresh, uh, Kfura, burial, and the idea of Kfura is of course not foreign to us. If we go back to the immediately preceding Parsha, um, to the beginning of Parshat Vayichi, and of course, it should be uh, familiar to us. It is, of course, uh, the beginning of the deathbed scene, the very extended deathbed scene of Yaakov. Um, and what we're told in Pasuk Kaftat, Perak Memzayim, Pasuk Kaftat, is as follows. Uh, and the days of Israel to die came close. And he called to his son Yosef, and he said to him, If I find favor in your eyes, he would like Yosef to swear. And what should he swear? The oath that Yaakov uh, requests of Yosef is that Yosef not bury him. Of course, what does Yaakov desire? Uh, carry me uh, to, away from Egypt to the place of my fathers, ukfaratani bikfuratam, and bury me in their burial place. And of course, Yosef agrees, Yosef swears that Yaakov will not be buried in Mitzrayim, he will be buried back in Canaan. So we have here the term kfura three times, the central topic is kfura, and what Rashi and Ramban claim is that we have to connect up the mention of the burial of Rachel later on in Perak Memchet Pasuk Zion with the mention of the topic of burial in the very first part of Parshat Vayichi in the discussion between uh, Yaakov and Yosef. Um, now, what Rashi says uh, in a relatively cryptic comment, and it's cited by Ramban here um, in Perak Memchet Pasuk Zion, V'ek Rasham, V'yadati sheyesh bilvavcha alai. Uh, and I know, Yaakov says to Yosef, according to Rashi here in Pasuk Zion, in the mention of Rachel, that you have it in your heart against me regarding this matter. And I know that you resent the fact that Rachel was not buried in Marat HaMachpelah, uh, where she should have been buried, but uh, instead she was buried by Derech on the way to Ephrat in Beit Lechem. Avolda, Rashi continues on to say, Rashi continues on to say, Avolda lecha, but no, sha'alpiha dibur kvartiha, sham um, shetahele ezra lebaneha. Um, no, Rashi, you're citing Midrash, says, no, that I did it 
um, because God commanded me to bury her there because that place is of strategic importance later on in the history of Am Yisrael. She'll be buried there and she'll be able to cry for her sons, as you know from Sukim later on in Nach. And so to speak, according to Rashi, um, Yaakov is apologizing or explaining, really granting the rationale and telling Yosef not to resent the fact that Rachel was not buried in Matam because he did it al pihadibur. Uh, Ramban is very, very similar. Um, a few lines later, in the same piece of Ramban, which I quoted, which had been quoting Rashi, Ramban says, um, And on the level of Pshat, the simple interpretation of the Pasuk, um, Yosef mentions the burial of Rachel on the way uh, as a matter of apology. That Yosef should not be upset upon seeing the desire of Yaakov to be buried in Marat Machpelah when his own mother wasn't buried there, when Yosef's mother wasn't buried there. So the common denominator of Rashi and Ramban is that Pasuk Zayin, the mention of Rachel and her burial in Ephrat in the Beit Lachem, Derach Ephrat Beit Lachem, harks back to the previous parsha, to Yaakov's request to be buried in Marat HaMachpelah, and it's a kind of attempt by Yaakov to guarantee that Yosef will fulfill Yaakov's request. It's a kind of attempt by Yaakov to apologize to Yosef for not burying Rachel in Marat HaMachpelah. It's a time of attempt by Yaakov um, to make certain that Yosef keeps his promise and doesn't resent him, etc., etc., and this is the uh, claim of uh, Rashi and Ramban. Now, if we come to analyze this, uh, let's return to the problem for a moment. The problem is, why here in Parak Memchet does Pasuk Zayin appear? Um, why here does Yaakov mention the burial of Rachel um, on the Derech Lefrata, Bederech Lebeit Lechem? And the claim of Rashi and Ramban is that, in point of fact, in truth, it's really not particularly in place. Uh, ideally, um, this verse would have belonged in the previous parsha, and it does connect and hark back uh, to the previous parsha. And clearly, Rashi and Rabban are very much aware of the problem we had raised. Um, the solution would kind of be that um, Yaakov had forgot to mention it previously, and here, so to speak, um, in the next scene, he manages to mention it and to kind of stick it in, this apology or the rationale as to why he buried Rachel there. Um, now, certainly Rashi and Ramban are allowed to uh, make this claim, but I think it's, it's a little bit difficult, um, and I think for, for three reasons. The first is that the two parshiot are, are separated by Vayi Achrei Hadvarim um, a kind of significant amount of time has passed between, perhaps a significant amount of time has passed between uh, the time when Yaakov was first visited by Yosef and the second time that uh, Yaakov was visited by Yosef. And on the structural plane, it seems strange to assign Pasuk Zayin found in Perak Memchet back to the previous parsha of, of, of burial. Not impossible, but, but strange. But more so, um, I think that if we accept Rashi and Rabban's claim, this means that Yaakov was not willing to accept the Shavuah, was not willing to accept the oath that Yosef had granted. And it would seem strange um, that Yaakov was not swayed or not willing to accept the oath and felt the need to discuss the non-burial of Rachel in Marat HaMachpelah as a means of guaranteeing that he himself would be married in Marat HaMachpelah at this point um, in this latter parak. And, and finally... 
I think even if neither of these problems are problems, and we can imagine Yaakov discussing it later, still it doesn't fit into the immediate context here of the discussion of the blessing of uh, Ephraim and Menashe, uh, of the lead-up, the build-up to the blessing of Ephraim and Menashe. And if so, I think it would be justified to search for some sort of alternative explanation um, as to the inclusion of Pasuk Zion, uh, as to the mention of by Yaakov of the burial of Rachel or the death of Rachel um, here at this point in Perak Memchet Pasuk Zayin as part of the build of the blessing of Ephraim and Menashe. Um, what can we suggest as an alternative? Uh, we'd like to suggest two alternatives. Um, and the first might be thought of as a psychological alternative. I think something... Um, which may teach us something about the character of Yaakov or, or the mindset of Yaakov. And I'd like to begin by going back to Pasuk Gimel, where Yaakov um, mentions the covenant that God granted him in, in Luz. And Pasuk Gimel again says as follows, V'yom Yaakov el Yosef el Shaddai nira elai beluz be'eretz k'nan ve'erochoti God appeared to me in Luz. What did God say in Luz? There is pruravu, uh, you'll be fruitful and multiply. Secondly, there's this idea of the community of nations, the kahal amim. Third, and then, of course, there is the um, granting of the land uh, as an everlasting possession. Now, I think it's interesting to ask ourselves, um, well, when exactly, where exactly did Avraham, did, pardon me, did God appear to Yaakov uh, in Luz? In fact, uh, Yaakov uh, um, is visited by God, or God appears to Yaakov twice in Luz. The first time, back in Parakavchet, at the beginning of Parashat Vayetzeh, when Yaakov leaves on the derech to Padan Aram, and the second time, uh, in the very same place, when he returns uh, from Padan Aram, eventually um, arriving back in Luz Beit El, um, in the land of Canaan. And if we are looking for the point in time where God said to Yaakov that he will multiply him, that he will become a Kahal Amin, um, and that he will receive the land. Well, this covenantal language only appears in the second passage describing the appearance of God to Yaakov and Luz, in the one that is found in Perak Lamed Hay of the, of the Torah. And I'd like to go to there for a moment. Uh, Perak Lamed Hay, Pasuk Vav, says as follows. It's a, it's a pretty long passage. We'll begin at the beginning. Perak Lamed Hay, Pasuk Vav. Be'avo Yaakov Luza, Asher Be'aretz Kenan, he Beit El, and Yaakov came to Luz in the land of Canaan. Again, this is on his return journey. This is Beit El. Hu v'chol ha'amasharimo. He and everybody that was with him. Um, and then, just a few psukim later in Pasuk Tet, we're told as follows, Ve'ira elokim el Yaakov od bevomi padan aram oto. And God appeared to Yaakov in padan aram, and he blessed him. Uh, so here we have the blessing. And what does he say to him? Well, he changes his name. Your name won't be Yaakov. Your name will be Yisrael. And then he says as follows in Pasuk Yudalaf. The exact same divine name that Yaakov later on recounts in Perak Memchet. 
be fruitful and multiply. Goyu kahal goyim, a nation and a community of nations. Yemimcha umulachim, etc. And kings will come out of you. Pasuk yud bet bet the aretz asher natati laavraham yitzkakul chayet nenu lazaracha acharecha atenet the aretz, etc. So, if we are looking for the reference, uh, when is it that God appeared to Yaakov and Luz and promised him all these things? I.e., one pruravu. Uh, um, two, becoming a community of nations, and three, the land, the proper place is Perak because there you have all the markers. You have the same divine name, Kel Shakai, you have the Puravu, you have the promise of the land, and you have the Ribui Zera, the multiplication of the sea contained in the terms Puravu. Um, now, something very interesting appears if we continue on a little bit further there in the Psukim. In Pasuk Yudalit, Vaitzav Yaakov Matseva Bamakomashadiberi. So, and Yaakov put up a Matseva, he erected a Mayim to commemorate the incident. Um, and that kind of seals off the divine revelation there in Pasuk Lamed Hay. Now, what's very interesting is to look at the continuation of the parashat, what happens just a few Pesukim later, the very next set of events. In Parak Lamed Hay, Pasuk Tet Zion, we are told as follows. Vayis'u mi Beit El, and they traveled from Beit El, od kivrat aretz, they were... On the way, Kivrat Aretz is the term uh, used here by the Torah. Um, and uh, then we're told, Lavo um, Ephrata, to come to Ephrat. Vateled Rachel Vatakesh And Rachel went into labor and she had a difficult time. Pasikudzain vi bakoshata belidita. And uh, in, we know that she had difficulty in child. We know, of course, Binyamin is born, and she dies. And Pasukutet, Vatamat, Rachel, Vatikaber, Vederach, Ephrat, Ahi, Beit Lechem. Rachel was buried, she died, and she buried in the way to Ephrat, Hi, Beit Lechem. Vayitzev, Yaakov, Matseva, Al-Kfurata. And Yaakov put up a monument. Yaakov erected another monument. One monument uh, for the divine blessing, and another monument for the death of Rachel, which happens immediately afterwards. Hi, Matsevet Kfurat, Rachel, Antayom. Now, uh, what we should have noticed um, is back in Paraklamenhe, the two events are linked by the Torah. They are linked chronologically. It is shortly after God appears to uh, Yaakov and promises him this covenantal language and promises him the, uh, the multiplication into many nations. Well, shortly afterwards, Rachel dies. And where does she die? Well, she dies in the language of the Torah. Uh, Kivrat Aretz, on the way into the land, Lavo Ephrata, and she's buried there. Um, and of course, this is kind of almost an exact parallel to Perak Memchet Pasuk Zion, uh, where Rachel dies, Baderech, Kivrat Aretz, Lavo Ephrata, etc. So, the same as the two events are linked back in Perak Lamed Hay, they're also linked here in Perak Memchet. And the link is um, chronological uh, on some plane. So we may already say that it is not really surprising that Yaakov mentioned the death of Rachel here in Perak Memchet Pasuk Zayin because the two events are linked in Yaakov's life. It was immediately after God appeared to him in Luz and re-promised him the covenant with this particular language that he's now granting to Menashe and Ephraim. That's when Rachel died. So it's no real surprise that Yaakov mentions it here. Um, however, I think there is uh, more to it than this. There's something a bit deeper going on uh, in the psychology of Yaakov, which we might begin to unpack um, by noting two things. First, that Yaakov erects a matseva upon the covenant in Paraklamide Pasigidalad, and he also erects a matseva upon the death of Rachel in. Um, the two events are on some plane 
very, very significant, or of equal significance uh, in the life of Yaakov. And I'd like to explain this a little bit um, more deeply. Um, we might be helped by a Rashi um, in our parsha in Parak Memchet, uh, Pasuk Dalid, uh, upon this covenantal language of v'natatiha lekahal amim, um, the idea of being a community of nations, which is part of the uh, covenantal language here. Now, the, complex, the, the comment of Rashi is complex and, and, and goes as follows. Rashi says as follows. Basarni sha'atidim latzeit mimeni od kahal va'amim. Va'af alpi sha'amarli goy v'kahal goyim. Goy amarli al binyamin. Rashi says as follows. The language of kahal amim found here in Perak Memchet harks back to the language of goy v'kahal goyim found back in Paraklamet Hay in the promise made to Yaakov uh, at Luz. Um, and then Rashi says as follows, that Yaakov interpreted the term goy in the phrase goy v'kahal goyim at Paraklamet Hay, goy amarli al binyamin. That idea of nation, that was set upon binyamin, and binyamin was born immediately after that promise at Luz, uh, immediately following the promise at Luz comes the death scene of Rachel in which binyamin is born, so the goy, the promise of goy comes true. Kahal goyim hareishnaim levat binyamin. But the phrase kahal goyim, a community of nations, seems to imply that there are others above and beyond binyamin. V'shuv lo ben. And I never had another son born to me, Yaakov says, according to Rashi. Lamanish atid echad lichalek. I learned from this that one of the tribes must split into two. Vata otomatana aninoten lecha. So Rashi says is that what is going on here in the fact that Yaakov inducts Menashe Ephraim into the covenant and gives them the special blessing, it is Yaakov's interpretation of the promise made to him back in Luz by God. That's exactly what's going on here. God promised him that he would become yet many nations. Yaakov interprets that promise as a particular promise regarding the Bnei Rachel. Gai refers to Binyamin, who is then born, but Rahal Kahal Goyim, another two nations that hasn't yet been accomplished. So it must be that Yaakov is meant to induct Menachem and Ephraim into the covenant in order to fulfill that divine promise. And I think this is quite fascinating because what Rashi is hinting at, or what Rashi is teaching us here, is that on some plane, I think it's correct that the covenant and B'nai Rachel are tied up with each other in the psychology of Yaakov. Yaakov views um, the uh, uh, fundamental accomplishment or the central accomplishment of the promises of God through the B'nai Rachel, through Yosef, Binyamin, and their descendants. And that is why here he takes those promises of Goy Goyim and interprets them as referring to Ephraim and Menashe and comes to induct Ephraim and Menashe into, into the covenant. And it is on some level, again, not surprising that he mentions the death of Rachel, um, because again, Rachel is central to Yaakov's memory or remembrance of the covenant. So I think the connection here and the explanation of the inclusion of Memchad Zion is not just chronological connection, what happened back in Paraklamid Hay, um, between the promise of the covenant and the death of Rachel, but it's also a kind of psychological connection in the mind of Yaakov that the covenant and the Bnei Rachel are tied up to each other in some very, very important way. And finally, uh, I would like to return to the point about the, the Matzevot, um, the, the monuments. You might say, uh, for Yaakov, or for the character of Yaakov, there is no um, wholly unmitigated good uh, in life. Even the glory of the promise of the covenant, Goy v'kahal goyim, pru, you will receive the land, 
And Yaakov's mind is tied up with the tragedy of the death of Rachel, of the loss of Rachel. Yaakov is not really capable or able to talk about one without talking about the other. The good and the bad, the glory and the tragedy come together for him. And here in recounting the covenant, Yaakov also recounts the great tragedy of his life. So I think um, by examining um, the term Luz, where the promises were given to Yaakov, by noting the parallel between the covenant and the death of Rachel there, the chronological connection, by thinking about the Rashi, um, where uh, the claim that Yaakov used the fundamental accomplishment of the covenant through the sons of Rachel is, is brought forth. And by also thinking about the psychology of Yaakov, I think we can begin to get a grasp as to why Yaakov mentions the death of Rachel here in the story of granting the blessing to Benash and Ephraim, because all these things are tied up together for Yaakov, whether it be chronologically, whether it be historically, whether it be psychologically, or even on the existential theological plane, that the covenant and the tragedy come together for a character like Yaakov. And this is one uh, alternative to Rashi and Ramban that I would like to suggest. Uh, In the time remaining, I would like to sketch uh, something a little bit different, a third possible explanation for the inclusion of Parak Memchet, Pasuk uh, Zayin here, for the mention of Rachel, the death of Rachel, the burial of Rachel, etc. Um, Until now, we have referred to the Parsha as the story of the blessing of Menashe and Ephraim, or perhaps sometimes as their uh, induction into the into the covenant. Um, now, the reason why we talk about the story of Parak Memchet usually as the story of the blessing of Menashe and Ephraim, because the key verse seems to be Parak Memchet, Pasuk Tet Zayin, uh, which says as follows. Um, what does Yaakov, in fact, say to Menashe and Ephraim? Hamalach mikora, the angel that has redeemed me from all evil or from all Difficulty, he will bless these lads, he will call upon them my name, Avram my name, the names of my forefathers, and they will spread out in the land. So, this is a story about the blessing of Menashe and Ephraim. However, if we think about it, and as both Ibn Ezra and Ramban point out, there is something else going on here as well. If we take a look at the very last pasuk of the story, it says as follows. Yaakov summarizes in a speech to Yosef and says as follows. I have given you, literally this means an additional portion uh, above and beyond your brothers. As Ibn Ezra points out, Shechem Echad, um, an additional portion, is a reference to the laws of Nachala, to the laws of inheritance. And, in fact, um, what Yaakov has effectively done by blessing Menashe and Ephraim and inducting them into the covenant is that he has taken Yosef and he has split him into two. He has made Yosef into two Shvatim. He has given Yosef a double portion of Nachala, a double portion of inheritance in the land of Israel, by this process of blessing. Now, of course, as we should remember from Sefer Dvarim, um, the double portion of inheritance is known as Mishpat HaBechora. In effect, in this story of blessing um, Menashe and Ephraim, Yaakov gives Yosef a double portion, and he designates Yosef as receiving Mishpat HaBechora. Yosef is the firstborn for Yaakov, and that is part of the meaning of this story. Um, in other words, 
According to Ibn Ezra, the story is not just about blessing Menashe and Ephraim, it's something about the relationship between Yisrael and Yosef, and the fact that Yosef is his Bukhar in some deep sense. Now, um, in fact, the text may almost testify to this explicitly. Perak Memchet Pasik Tetvav states as follows, Vayarech et Yosef. When God, when uh, Yaakov comes to bless Ephraim and Menashe, the Torah does not describe it as uh, Yaakov blessing Ephraim and Menashe, but the Torah describes it, Perak Memchet, Pasik Tetvav, again, Vayarech et Yosef, he blessed Yosef, Vayomer, Ha'elokim, Asher etachu, Avotai lefanai, Avram Yitzhak, Ha'elokim, Ha'elokim, Mi'odi, etc. In other words, as preface to the blessing of Hamalach, the Torah tells us that he blessed Yosef. In other words, the blessing here is really of Yosef. And Rabban's comment is, Ba'ahavato et Yosef, out of his love of Yosef. So we might say that on a deeper level, the story is not just about blessing Ephraim and Menashe and inducting them into the covenant. It's about recognizing the special status of Yosef, the Bechorhood of Yosef, or it's an expression of Yaakov's special love for Yosef in the formulation of Ramban. And I would like to take this to another level. I would take, like to take this in another step. Uh, and this through an interesting uh, literary feature of uh, the story. Um, the entire chapter um, consists of 22 uh, psukim. Perpem Chet has 22 psukim in it. Um, and the story spans over the course of 22 psukim. Now, it has been pointed out uh, famously um, by, uh, by Rav Samet in many of his uh, writings um, that often, right at the middle of the story, you find a key verse, a kind of key axes which indicates something about the inner nature of the story. And if we look uh, near the middle of our story, in Perak Memchet, Pasuk Yud Aleph, we find a fascinating Pasuk. Um, right before um, we get to the moment where uh, Yisrael Yaakov blesses, or begins to bless Ephraim and Menashe, he says his following to Yosef in Perak Memchet, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Vayom Yisrael Yosef, filalti. Here, behold your face. I did not even dream of seeing it. I did not even imagine or pray that I could see you ever again. And now, behold, God has, hold, has shown me also your children. Um, what Yaakov says to Yosef is that I never imagined I would see you again. Yaakov here harks back to, to those lost years to those years of distance between himself and Yosef. He says, I never imagined um, that I would see you again in here. I've had the amazing schut, the amazing privilege of seeing your children. And I think part of the idea of the blessing um, of Ephraim and Menashe, it's a kind of attempt by Yaakov to, to compensate uh, for those lost years. It's not just about the love of Yosef or the granting of Bechorhod to Yosef. Um, or the special attachment that Yaakov had for Rachel and, and the fact that the covenant was accomplished essentially through B'nai Rachel. But on the interpersonal plane between Yaakov and Yosef, the attempt to bring Ephraim and Menashe in, it's an attempt to make up uh, or to compensate for those lost years, those years when Yosef was in Mitzrayim and Ephraim and Menashe uh, were born. Now, why is this a crucial point? Um, because in point of fact, we know very little uh, about uh, those lost years of Yosef's life when he was distant from his father. Uh, the Torah does tell us the story of Yosef in the house of Potiphar and, and the story of Yosef in the bar, but we know little about the inner life of Yosef, except perhaps for, 
for one exception. Something that is revealed to us in Perak Mem Aleph, Pasuk Nun, when Yosef names the two children born to him during those years, when Yosef's name is Menashe and Ephraim. Perak Mem Aleph, Pasuk Nun, uh, tells us the, the following. Yosef yulad shnei banim b'terem tavo shnat hara'av asher yaldalo asnat bat botifar koinon. There were two sons. Pasuk Nun Aleph. Ve'ikrai Yosef et shem ha-bechor minashe. He called the name of the Bukhar Menashe, Ki Nashani Elokim et Kol Amaliv et Kol Beit Avi. So Menashe's name means forgetfulness on some level. Because uh, God has caused me to forget uh, my burdens and everything that happened in the house of my father. Pasuk Nun Bet, Vet Shem Hasheni Kara Ephraim. And the name of the second one he called Ephraim, Ki Hifrani Elokim Be'eretz Onyi. God has caused me to be multiplied in the land of uh, my oppression. So what do these names symbolize? Well, on the one hand, Yosef is happy to be distant uh, from all that he suffered in the house of his father. Uh, and this is the name of Menashe, I have forgotten. But of course, he hasn't forgotten at all. Because what is the name? He may wish to forget, but he cannot forget. Because what is the name of the second child? Ephraim. Because here in the land of my suffering, in the land of my pain and suffering, I have uh, been fruitful and multiplied. I think um, these names symbolize the kind of wistfulness the kind of longing, the kind of alienation that Yosef feels uh, from everything. Uh, he misses his father's house, but he's happy to forget it. He suffers in this land, but he's happy that he's successful. And these are long years for Yosef, years of difficulty, of wishing to forget, but not being able to forget, years of pain, years of isolation. And when Yosef sees his brothers, we know he cries. And when Yosef reveals himself, he cries, and he says, Oda Vichai. These tears of Yosef that we see throughout the story are these, year, these tears of anguish, these tears of alienation, these tears of isolation, of those long years alone without his family that Yosef uh, endured. Now, I think, um, if this is correct, we may find something quite interesting here when we return to our Pesukim and the mysterious Pasuk, Perak Memchet Pasuk the mention of uh, the death of Rachel and the burial of Rachel, etc. So let us now return to Perak Memchet Pasuk uh, for one last time. Uh, uh, one, two verses before our verse. Yaakov says to uh, Yosef as follows, Vata, these two sons who were born to you in the land of Mitzrayim that symbolize these long years of aloneness that you have endured until I now came and was reunited with you in Mitzrayim they will be blessed they will be part of the covenant You, they will symbolize the fact that you are my firstborn they will symbolize my love of you and by bringing them in the idea is to so to speak bring what they represent these long years to redeem this time of loneliness that Yosef has endured and then what does uh, Yaakov say immediately afterwards in Perak Memchet, Pasuk Zayin? V'ani b'vo'i mipadan meita alai Rachel ba'aretz k'nan b'derach ba'od kibat aretz l'vo efrata v'ek b'rasham b'derach efrata hi b'et lachem. Yaakov says to Yosef, why am I doing this? Why am I trying to make up for those lost years, those years of loneliness and alienation? Why am I bringing Ephraim and Menashe and everything they represent into the covenant? Because I too know about loneliness and alienation. I too have suffered. I empathize. Myself, the one who I was closest to, Rachel, died upon me. She is no longer with me. And perhaps part of the mention of the death of Rachel here by Yaakov, it is part of the dialogue or the kind of subtext 
of the events here, the sense of loneliness and alienation that had gripped uh, Yosef, the sense of loneliness and alienation that Yaakov is capable of sympathizing with because of the death of Rachel, it is part of the motivational factor of why Yaakov attempts to bring Ephraim and Menashe and everything they represent in, and perhaps this is an additional explanation for um, the mention of the death of Rachel here in Perak Nunchet Pasuk Zayin.